Monday night, May 6th at the Hyatt Regency in San Francisco. You're invited to join athletes and celebs at the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame Enshrinement Dinner. Be there to celebrate this year's class featuring Olympic swimmer Jenny Thompson, San Jose Earthquakes legend Chris Wondolowski, Niners Super Bowl hero John Taylor, Sharks icon Patrick Marlowe, and the architect of the Giants dynasty, Brian Sabian. Be a part of this star-studded evening benefiting Special Olympics Northern California. To purchase tickets, visit Bayshoff.org. That's B-A-S-H-O-F.org. We're getting you ready for the game on The Build-Up with news from around the league, interviews, highlights, and more. Here's your host, Ted Ramey. Good afternoon, everyone. We are getting ready for Sharks Hockey. Our live pregame coverage begins at 3.30 today before the Sharks do take on the Carolina Hurricanes at 4 o'clock right here on the Sharks Audio Network. A lot going on with the Sharks. Trade, trade speculation, to get into all of it, we are now joined by Curtis Pashelka, who covers the Sharks for Bay Area News Group. Curtis, what's going on, man? How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well, Ted. How are you? I'm doing very well. And we are entering what I, and I've maybe used this line on you before, but what I feel is the start of one of the more interesting moments in the history of the Sharks as a franchise, because I think that what Mike Greer is in the process of doing, along with the rest of the um, front office as it pertains to hockey operations is making decisions that are going to have, you know, long-term impacts. And we saw what I assume is the first of what will be several moves being made now in this offseason. So what was your reaction to that first trade that we saw come in involving Nieto and Merkley? Well, I was maybe just a tad surprised uh, at the deal just because I thought maybe Matt Nieto... Um, might get traded a little bit closer to the deadline mm-hmm. and that the Sharks might try to maybe uh, acquire a, a pick uh, for him, a draft pick for him for this upcoming year or this upcoming draft uh, this year. Um, so in, in that respect, I, I was a little surprised. You, you know, you delve a little deeper and you see a Colorado really doesn't have that many picks to begin with uh, for this upcoming year. They've got a first uh a fifth and a sixth and a seventh. So they've already traded away their second, third and fourth picks for, for this upcoming year. So, um, so anyway, I think, you know, when you look at the deal, it's, you know, Ryan Merkley for Martin Cott. Um, you can kind of, you can kind of uh, understand what, what, what the process was, what the thought process was uh, for that deal. You know, two players you could probably use a change of scenery. Um, you know, obviously Ryan Merkley had, had a, requested a trade and uh, was looking for another opportunity elsewhere. And I think Martin Cott was kind of reaching that point too, after he's mm-hmm. put on waivers uh, earlier this month. So, um, so you can understand from that standpoint, um, you know, like I said, I think Matt Nieto uh, is, you know, not necessarily a, a guy who's going to put a point a night or uh, that kind of, that kind of player, but he, he served a very valuable role. Uh, for this Sharks team in terms of his penalty killing, uh, in terms of his reliability as far as a, a middle six forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was, uh, he was, he was well liked in that locker room. He helps add to the culture in that, in that aspect. Um, you know, Jacob, Jacob McDonald's still a little bit of a question mark um, as far as whether or not he could be a full-time NHL player. Um, you know, the, the, the Sharks, uh, you know, we'll see what happens when, um you know, when, uh, when Radim Simic is, is able to come back again, I tend to think that sometime after this long break here, he'll be, 
he'll be much closer to to be able to to play again in, in that instance. Then uh, what happens is to to McDonald's is he just go back to being kind of a seventh defenseman? Uh, does he get sent back to the American League? Uh, kind of have to wait and see. So, um, so I, it, it's uh, one that's kind of good. You have to kind of see how it all plays out before you really get a, a judge a judgment on it or a handle on it. Um, you know, you'd uh, see what happens with 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 Martin. I think that's part of the key to this deal. How does how does Martin kind of pan out? Mm-hmm. You know, does he does he uh, is he a guy that uh, you know with a change of scenery with that he can sort of unlock. Uh, what made him sort of a, a first round pick, uh, you know, five years ago? Is he can he get back to that type of form, sort of that kind of flash that he he had back then? And and can the Sharks bring it out of him? And if so, then you know you look at a pretty nice return on a for a quality player um, like Ryan Merkley and uh, and uh, Matt Nieto. If not, then well, then you know it's it's uh, it's one of those things that you kind of have to uh, kind of live with, I guess. If those kind of deals, but maybe it's the chance that, uh, you know, Mike Greer and his team uh, was worth taking at this point. Yeah. And it will be interesting to see how they do use McDonald because obviously they've got Kanijov coming back as well. He's been doing his conditioning and rehab stuff with the Barracuda. Um, but obviously the injuries to Shimek, Chichek being not quite there yet. Um, it is interesting to see where this goes. And then Quinn also talked about the potential of McDonald being on the power play. Yeah, yeah, you could you could certainly slide in on that second power play unit at the very least. That's probably makes makes a lot of sense for him to to do that too. Because really, I mean, you've had um, you know a guy like Mario Ferraro in that position and, and Matt Benning in those position that position before, um, and then those you know those guys didn't play poorly there at all. Especially Benning, I thought he uh, did a nice job back there. But um, you know, if you got in a little bit more slightly more offensively minded defenseman. Um, in uh in mcdonald in in that role that's that could certainly help even if it's maybe just for a minute or two per game in a, in a second second unit sort of role uh that would be uh that would be beneficial uh for him and and uh, sort of just add to his value to what he can bring to this team quinn talked about noah gregor getting more time on the penalty kill and that's actually something that i like because when we've seen gregor in limited capacity before i felt like he did work hard on the penalty kill and i think that also opens up more opportunity for him. I wanted to get your reaction to that. And also, one of the things that I do wonder about with Gregor Curtis is the fact that he's so fast and he's so exciting and, you know, the classic wing-type player, but I feel like all of his goals come in the dirty spaces. He poaches below the hash marks. There's almost a little bit of Joe Pavelski about him. Is his game maybe misclassified because of his speed? Yeah, I I think that's that's fair to say. I mean, when she gets to the national, he was he was a, you know a leading one of the leading scores you know for his junior team in the WHL, and he was a very you know productive player at the American League level as well. Um, but once you get to the national league, it's it's a situation where there's only so many players that get those top minutes, and um, you know sometimes players have to figure out a different role for themselves, mm-hmm. and you know whether it's more of a grind type type role and obviously he, Noah still has to use his speed whenever possible but you're right you know getting in some of those dirty areas being a, a guy who can get in on the four check and, and be a little bit more physical um a guy and and if a situation where if he maybe he flourishes in this sort of penalty kill type role mm-hmm. uh, and that 
allows him to sort of stay in the league uh, for a long time. That's that, that's a benefit for him. And so I think when when David Quinn mentioned this morning that this is a real opportunity for Noah, um, you know, to to maybe uh, round out his game a little bit, I think that's that's uh, something that could uh, really work out in his favor if he's able to to do that sort of thing. You know, Matt Nieto was, you know, he was a big time scorer in college, but you know, in the NHL, it was. He was just uh, he was kind of the same type of player in, in some respects. He was a very fast player, but just mm-hmm. maybe had trouble finishing and, and that kind of thing. I remember when he when he, he spent a lot of you know some time on Joe Thornton's wing, um, you know for for a couple of years there in, in the Todd McClellan era. And uh, you know while while he was certainly an energetic player, he was just never he was never a guy who could you know really fill the net kind of thing, yeah. especially. If you're playing with Joel Thornton, you're expected to produce offense. So, um, so you know maybe maybe this is a way for, for Noah to to sort of uh, evolve in, in his pro career is to take on sort of and just realize that you know there's a certain way to to stay in this league and maybe this is the type of player he has to become. Another guy who used to play on the wing of Joe Thornton was Kevin LeBanc, who had his best year in 2018 2019 when the Sharks made that deep run to the Western Conference Final. Yet he's a guy who has not been able to quite recapture that form. But I felt that this year, until he was sat down for a few games after he had that big defensive error, 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 as I try to talk here, before that, I felt like he'd been playing some pretty good hockey and he'd been more aggressive. And, you know, part of that aggressiveness, I feel, is he, he takes some bad penalties. So you take the good with the bad. Were you surprised by how long Kevin Luck got sat down? Yeah, I think so. I think I think it was you know they they uh, you know they sat him down after that Edmonton game. He he sat down for the Jersey game. The Sharks played pretty well in that game overall, except for the fact that you know for those last few minutes there they gave up the six on five goal, uh, and then uh, you know lose uh, losing a shootout, and then but then they come back and they beat Dallas and in the next game and Kevin's still out, and so okay, well maybe it makes maybe Quinn doesn't want to tinker with the lineup too much and and just wants to you know, sit him out. But what surprised me is after that Columbus loss, um, that, that Kevin still stayed out mm-hmm. after that game. I was kind of, you know, I was kind of uh, confused by that a little bit because really, I mean, there, there was a lot of, a lot of players in that game who just didn't really bring much in terms of energy. And maybe you get some on a back to back, maybe you get some fresh legs in there. Um, you know, it didn't pan out. Of course, that's not the way it happened. And then finally, you know, he got in the game most recently uh on tuesday there so um you know it was it was you know it was a little bit of a surprise to see him sit out that long i think maybe it that's uh you know kevin was you know he didn't he didn't agree necessarily with the reasons why he got sat out but he just said hey what's what's done is done like all i can do now is kind of control what i control going forward and so he had a good attitude about it um at least uh after a few after the kind of the the shock wore off he kind of just said okay let's Let's try to figure out what what I need to do and to stay in the lineup now. And you know, I, I mean, he's he's a player that you know he still has one more year left on his contract. David mm-hmm. Quinn's not going anywhere. He just you know, so uh, can they can can Kevin consistently find a way to do what David Quinn wants him to do, and and then stay in the lineup, um, you know, for the rest of the season. I think that that could go a long way into determining whether or not that whether Kevin's going to be long for the organization is whether or not he can you know, get on the same page with Quinn here over these last uh, two, three months of the season and, 
and really find find out for himself or find out what what will make him uh you know what will keep him in the lineup and and be a productive player like like he has been at times throughout his career it was interesting though because bob bugner did something similar with him but it was usually just for one game and then it would be back i mean does that work? I mean, that's the thing is like LeBanc has proven himself as a guy who can net almost 60 points in a season, granted playing alongside Joe Thornton. But this year, it seemed like it was in that vein again. He was trending in that direction. Is it is it too late in his career for that for the message to be delivered that way? You know, I'm not I, I don't know. I think under a new coach, maybe it has to be sort of uh, reinforced. Um, I know, you know, as. Uh, you know, you're right. He's 27 years old now. He's in his sixth year in the NHL. Um, there does come a point where if it's like, if it doesn't happen by now, maybe it won't happen. But, um, you know, I think I think Kevin is, you know, sort of being, trying to be professional about it. He wants to, to, to make sure he's in the lineup and contributing. And, and, and uh, so where does this all lead to? I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, if we'll, we'll see what happens in, uh, for the rest of the season here and in the summertime, if, if there's a change of scenery for him, but um, you know, right now I think David just wants to do what he can to, to get the continue to get the best out of him and, and see if he is a, a fit here for, for the long term. March 3rd is uh, about a month and a week away. Do you have any expectations of what might happen by then? Or are you just thinking whatever happens here will happen in terms of the trade deadline? Well, I mean, it would be very surprising to to, to see um, the Sharks hang on to certain players or pending UFAs uh, like Nick Benino and James Reimer. Um, to me, it does not make sense for them to for the Sharks to keep those type of players, even though they're they're great in the room and they're they're terrific veteran leaders. Um, you know, you the Sharks are at a stage where they really need to acquire some some picks and mm-hmm. some young ass young, young assets if if they're not going to get draft picks. So um to me it's you got to try to get something more you can't because you know i mean those as much as they like playing in, you know playing in san jose i mean they can they can just walk easily as as you unrestricted free agents in the offseason and you get nothing for them so i think and uh you know nick nick benino's got a little bit of trade protection too but i don't think it's anything that's too crazy as far as uh limiting what mike greer can do in terms of a trade so mm-hmm. i would certainly expect those two players to get dealt before march 3rd obviously there's been a ton of speculation regarding timo meyer and his his long-term future here um you know i think mike greer and and uh, i'm not sure if anything as official has happened by now but i think you know, there's been there's been reports that uh he'll allow other teams to talk to uh to talk to Timo Meyer's agent uh, about a potential of a, a long-term contract extension mm-hmm. with that team, which would certainly help in terms of the amount of what what the type of return the Sharks would get in a in a in a trade. So teams would, you know, if instead of just being a situation where he plays out this year and has a one-year contract for next year for ten million dollars, uh, the shark, you know, the, the opposing the other team would you know have some security. Knowing that the player is not just a rental in that in that respect, and uh, you know that would potentially help the Sharks get a re- a good return that could help them, you know, not only in the long term, maybe in the in the short term as well as getting NHL type NHL ready uh, type players. So that's going to be a major storyline here over the next five weeks to see what happens with him. And then obviously there's a lot of speculation too with Eric Carlson. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen by March third. That might be a situation where. You know, opposing GMs might wait to the offseason to 
to to maybe uh, inquire and, and revisit that uh, type of deal just because we don't quite know for sure what the uh, what the what the salary cap's going to be for next year, and we're taking on a player of who makes as much money as Eric Carlson does. As that's always going to be a consideration, and and whether or not Eric wants to wants to move on himself like Brett Burns did last season. So a lot of I think I think the Sharks will be very very busy and a, a real team to watch here over the next five weeks. With Timo Meyer in particular, do you think there's any part of him that would want to stay? And the fact that he's only 26, he's not going to be 27 till the start of next year, that gives you a better idea of where the Sharks' timeline really is at. I mean, I know that we can talk about how guys change after they're 30, but, you know, he's he's still very, you know, he's young, relatively speaking. I just, you know, you, as you get closer to 30, you don't know what's going to happen. But then again, we look at Joe Pavelski, for instance, and we look at Logan Couture. I think Logan Couture in a different situation would be probably even more productive than he is now. Like how much of that concern with age does come in when we're talking about the timeline for when the Sharks expect to be competitive, AKA contenders again? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a good point because obviously when they extended to Moss Hurdle last year, you look at, you know, he was, he's a couple of years older than, than Timo and, and uh, we'll be, you know, much later in his, by the time that deal ends, we'll be, we'll be a much older player uh, in terms of when a potential extension and how Timo Meyer would be uh, when that contract ends. So uh, you do get more of uh, that, those, those prime years, if you were to extend um, Timo Meyer long-term. Um, but, uh, you know, at the same time, I think, I think, you know, Maybe my career looks at it from a situation that says, you know what, the this core of players that, that we've had, these four, five, six players that we've had together uh, over the last three and a half years just hasn't really gotten the job done. And then maybe it's time to turn the page a little bit and get some new blood. I mean, when we talked to Mike Greer earlier this month, but, the, you know, we're up to halfway point. He kind of educated. It's like, you know, we've got – some really, some really good younger prospects that aren't quite ready for full-time NHL roles yet, and we've got this group of older players or you know players in their late twenties, early thirties, that uh, you know are certainly very good players. What they lack is sort of that 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 middle ground. Those players in their early to mid twenties who are really pushing to become you know full-time NHLers and be impactful you know NHL players. I mean. Uh, those those top six type fours, those top four type type defensemen. Uh, that's what this organization really uh, wants or lacks and feels is, you know, my career feels that's a real need uh, to do that. So as much as you like to keep a, a 35, 40 goal score in Timo Meyer, um, you know, you really sort of want to also add some players who are going to be a little bit younger and maybe in time uh, just being as impactful and, Maybe not cost as much either. Let's be honest. Uh, extension mm-hmm. for Timo Meyer is going to be it's going to run you about nine nine and a half million dollars. Is from everything I'm hearing. So um, that's that's something to consider as well. Is that you know the cap and how you're allocating your resources right now as you try to grow this team um, for the long term. And you know my my career too told us too. It's like you know when I asked him, I asked him this. You know, do you see this as a playoff team for next year? And he says, you can't rule it out, but it's just there's a lot of points to make up yeah. to do that. You know, I mean, there's a lot of ground to make up if you want to be a playoff team next year. And um, so, you know, that's, that's something to consider as well. So a lot of things on, on my career's play. I don't I just 
to me, I just think Mike Greer, from everything I've gathered, he's, he's he wants to start to 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 mold this team in his image, and and uh, you know, Timo Meyer is his most tradable asset, the most he yeah. can get in return. So that's I tend to think that's how it's going to play out. Again, that was Curtis Pashelka of Bay Area News Group. There is more of that interview, which you will be able to hear tomorrow morning on Morning Tide, presented by Coors Light. We are just about out of time. And remember to join us for live pregame coverage at 3.30 this afternoon. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey, signing off. This podcast can be found for download under Sharks Hockey Digest on iTunes, Google, and Spotify. And on demand anytime on the Sharks Plus SAP Center app presented by Western Digital. All music by Yogi Yend.